And welcome to the podcast of TechEU. I am your host, Andrew Degler, and today we are going to talk about tech startup conferences and learn a thing or two about sustainability and greenwashing. My colleague Annie is still on holiday in the US, but I have managed to lure our founding editor, Robin Wouters, to come on the podcast today to discuss the current affairs. Hey, Robin, how are you doing? I'm good. I feel very tricked into uh, doing this, but I enjoy it. So it's all good. <laughs> I do hope I will be able to trick you uh, more often <laughs> in the following weeks. But now, before we get started with the topic, just a little bit of background, just in case. I mean, you probably know by now that we are all facing a whole lot of issues due to the coronavirus, which is spreading rather quickly around the globe as we speak. And with that in mind, any gathering of more than 100 people could be seen as a potential breeding ground of the coronavirus. And uh, that is uh, if at least one of the people present is infected. This has led many tech companies to encourage their employees to work from home, but also required quite a few significant tech events, including European ones, to make adjustments of varying severity. The next web conference, for example, has recently been moved to October, and so was just just now uh, Hello Tomorrow in Paris. But for example, the Mobile World Congress was cancelled altogether and also cancelled was four years from now, a sister event of MWC dedicated to startups. However, the local community then managed to put together another conference uh, named Tech Spirit Barcelona. We also had our event in Barcelona around that time, Mobile Sunday, but I wasn't there, but Robin, you were. So tell me more about uh, how things went in Barcelona then. Yeah, so, so I think Mobile World Congress was the first big event that was canceled uh, because of the coronavirus outbreak. Uh, but of course, that's already a few weeks ago. That's two weeks ago uh, that we held uh, our Mobile Sunday event. And uh, we, w- we went ahead as planned. We proceeded because we found like a last minute sponsor and partner. Uh, we knew that the local ecosystem was already sort of, you know, making an effort to to do sort of a non- not a replacement event, but more sort of a, a very hastily put together series of events uh, around uh, certain topics, which I think was amazing to see the, the local ecosystem rally around the community and then to support sort of local initiatives and events and, and venues and, you know, the government, uh, the, the city government was involved. So, so it was amazing to see. But I also think if this would have happened this week or, or next week, maybe they wouldn't have had the Tech Spirit Barcelona altogether. Um, so it's a bit Curious to see how it all uh, plays out so fast, you know. Yeah, most certainly. Uh, did you go to many events of uh, Tech Spirit itself? Yes, many. <laughs> uh, because it was one of, one of the few international people to still sort of join uh, or, or at least make the trip to Barcelona. I was asked for a lot of panels and judging and stuff like that. So so I did go to a lot of events. I participated uh, on stage quite a lot. Uh, it was very, very well attended. I think in total they had like... 15,000 registrations, which doesn't mean all of these people showed up, but I think half of them did, which is about six, 7,000 people, from what I gather, uh, joined the events, which was quite impressive if you think about it, because this is an event series of events that was put together in two weeks, right? Yeah. And you can argue that people were already like making time for mobile world cars and four years from now, but still, sure. it's quite, quite impressive. Is it actually more uh, than uh, uh, how many people would attend uh, four years from now normally? No, four years from now was planning for twenty five to thirty thousand people. All right. So how how was the vibe at those events? Uh, how was it different from like normal conferences that uh, we go to? Yeah, it's really weird to say, but it didn't feel different at all. 
Like <laughs> people were talking about the Mobile World Congress and for your tsunami cancellations, but they weren't really discussing the coronavirus and how serious it is or, or how non-serious it is, depending on your views. Um, but it was really not a topic of conversation yet. I think, again, if this would have happened this week or next week, it would have been the topic of conversation. But back then, it was sort of still unknown. Uh, well, we still don't know a lot, but uh, there was like, like so much uncertainty uh, that it wasn't really discussed all that much. I didn't see anyone wearing masks. I didn't see anyone taking, uh, you know, precautions that I didn't see at other conferences. I didn't see people necessarily washing their hands more uh, intensively. So a, yeah, no difference for me, at least. All right. Okay. So, but now if we look at the, uh, let's say, bigger picture in a way, uh, what do you think, how does, uh, how do all these cancellations in general influence the ecosystem? Is it like tangible effect or a non-tangible effect or no effect at all? What is it in your opinion? Well, of course it's having an effect. Well, listen, when we talk about ecosystems, events is a really, really crucial uh, key part of it, in my view. You know, it brings people together. It uh, sort of educates people, it inspires people, it motivates people. You do it for recruitment, you do it for raising funding. So if these events are being canceled one by one, and you can argue that most of the big events will be canceled um, the ones that happened before the summer, and then we'll see what happens. But it's it's massively detrimental to the event organizers themselves, to all the companies that were supposed to exhibit, to all the the people that were counting on the presence there for their startup or to recruit. Or it's 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 a massive trickle down effect. It's like a cascading effect that that will sort of uh, ripple through the ecosystem for months, maybe even years. Yeah. Also, I see that a bunch of events, not necessarily startup conferences in Europe, but other ones, especially in the US, they kind of move towards online only sort of setup. What do you think of those? Have you ever attended? Well, attended one of those? Uh, I was sort of voicing my opinion on this on Twitter the other day uh, that I I really, really don't believe that you can take conferences uh, online only. Uh, this whole virtual conference thing, like I... I believe in virtual meetings and I believe that you can, uh, you have to make the content that's, that's at a conference, uh, you have to make it available online or you have to stream it because there's a whole new audience for it and it's sort of the long tail and it lasts, you know, it has a lifetime value, et cetera. But uh, why do people go to events? Like, honestly, the, the only reason that I go to events and I, I'm not speaking for everyone, of course, but is to meet people. Right, you want to be in close proximity to people to have face-to-face meetings, to have um, you know things that you can't really fully replace by doing an online-only conferences. I'm sure there will be some that will be deemed successful, uh, you know, going online only, and you can see the the big ones like Google I/O, for example, doing online sessions only makes a ton of sense to me. I'm pretty sure if this and let's hope it does. If this coronavirus gets uh, contained or if the, we, we found the vaccine in about a year, year and a half, and we can sort of stop the spread for the most part, that people will return to going actually to, to physical conferences again and not, you know, I, I don't see this becoming a trend that will last uh, if the coronavirus outbreak stops. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's an opinion that I have seen uh, before that maybe this whole situation will lead to more people understanding that they don't really need uh, those events. But yeah, I also kind of doubt that it will happen. But I mean, come on, the technology to have virtual conferences has been around for what, 10, 12 years? So if yeah, it hasn't yeah, happened yeah. yet, then why would it happen now? Like now we have a reason. Now we have an incentive. You remember those telepresence robots? Yes, I do. Sadly, um, <laughs> they're kind of a cool idea, but I, you know, they, there's a reason they don't become massive companies. You know, there's yeah. still a bit of a niche. 
Yeah, I think they can be a great idea for uh, people who, for one reason or the other, cannot uh, attend uh, the event. Oh, absolutely. But an event uh, consisting only of those robots would probably be a sad thing to see. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Like most of the the deals that you hear about, you know, deal this deal came about at this conference. It was it happened in the hallway. It didn't happen while you were sitting in the audience listening to someone on stage. Certainly. So this whole this whole meeting people serendipity, people introducing each other, uh, it's very very difficult to replicate this online. Uh, there's no network app that I know of that can can replicate sort of the human connections when a group is together in a physical place for, you know, a time limited, like a limited time frame. Speaking of which, you are basically, you're certainly more of a networker than I am. You talk to more people. How often do you actually hear about these uh, deals or whatever other important uh, things uh, coming together at an event or starting with a meeting at an event? Oh, surprisingly much. You'd be surprised how many... You know, sometimes you go to like an informal dinner or like even a party or a networking event uh, at a conference and you introduce people to each other. And like five, six years later, you you run into one of them and then they say, do you remember you introduced me? We ended up doing a deal or we ended up getting acquired or invested in. Or It's, it's very, very, um, I wouldn't say satisfying, but it's very, very interesting to watch how sort of personal connections at events can lead to to business deals, partnerships, investments, acquisitions. Um, it happens more often than we know, probably. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So I guess uh, that's a good way to sum up the current situation. And uh, uh, here is to the hope uh, that we can all uh, go to events uh, safely soon. Yeah, it was sort of uh, like I was, I was supposed to go to Paris next uh, Tuesday for the Hello Tomorrow Global Summit, but they only canceled like a, yesterday, which is a few days before. So, so I'm, I'm a bit on the fence if I need to cancel my trip and my trains or not. So I'm, I'm in the same situation as pretty much everyone that you sort of, you follow the news and you follow the science and you, but you don't really know what the right decision is. Right. Is there, are there conversations in the back channels by people who are still coming despite the event cancellation? Yes, of course. We have like a, <laughs> Every event has like a sort of a private messaging group for the yeah, speakers sure. and the, the people involved. And then there's like Facebook groups of like uh, speakers that, that sort of travel the world to exchange tips or whatnot. Of course, that conversation has shifted quite a lot to, you know, they, they lose a lot of business too. If you're a professional speaker, if you rely on like physical events to, to run your business, then you're hurting as much as the event organizers are. So it, it's having a massive economic impact, let alone like the, the impact that it has on cities and, 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 and regions and countries for that matter. Right. So, Robin, thanks a lot uh, for coming on the podcast today. Again, I do hope that you will uh, be here uh, more often in the future. And uh, yeah, have a great day. Thank you. Anytime. You just ask me and I'll be on the podcast. Will you, do. Sh- you should ask me more often. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> See you soon. So next up in today's agenda is an interview with Lubomila Yordanova, which I recorded a few weeks ago at Tech Chill, which is another conference that was not uh, cancelled, uh, fortunately. This is the second time that we have talked to Lubomila over the past year, but I have to say that it is certainly fascinating to track and witness the progress of an impactful startup that works in the sustainability space, but whose founder is not necessarily an activist. Okay, no more spoilers, though. Let us listen to it together. Okay, so we talked to you last time in July 2019. Uh, that was right after you won the pitch competition at Pirate Summit. That yes. was a Robin interviewing you. So just to remind everyone, what uh, what is it that you're doing? Uh, how big is your company right now? And uh, what are the very near future plans? 
So Plan A is a software company that helps other companies become sustainable. How it works, we've developed a software as a service solution uh, where companies sign up, we analyze their data and essentially help them understand their mission levels and build for them sustainability action plans. Um, the three simple things that the platform does is calculate, monitor and reduce companies' emissions. Uh, the company itself is not really big. We've been quite resourceful. So we, uh, have been, uh, not, uh, expanding incredibly quickly in terms of team size with 10 people, uh, based in Berlin. And uh, have you raised money so far? So this is something that I'll be able to answer in a different way in a month. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So, and you launched the current version of the platform in December, right? Exactly. So what was it before that? So uh, before that, we were doing on one-on-one basis with a lot of companies, this data analysis of their emission levels, sustainability action plans, but it was not fully digital. Right. Um, we still had a lot of offline aspects to the product. Now everything lives by itself and we don't need to hold hands with uh, the companies. They can be independent in understanding their sustainability level. Okay. So I was listening to your uh, talk today in the morning and I really like this story about what uh, what kind of pushed you towards uh, doing this so if you can if you can just uh, recite it for me once again Of course great. yeah a few years back I went on a surfing trip uh and unfortunately instead of beautiful beaches that were ready for the surfers to uh make the most of them I uh had to face a lot of trash uh already on the first day and um, I started cleaning on that particular day and it was kind of something that I, I love doing when I <laughs> see uh, trash that is lying around. But uh, that kind of got me thinking because I had never uh, focused my time and effort into understanding what was pollution. I've always been mindful. I've always been uh, making sure I don't leave mess after myself, but uh, I never understood the science behind it. And then once you get into the pollution topic, you get into then uh, climate change and you understand the whole cycle of the issues. And six months down the line after self-educating myself, I decided to quit my job, leave London and set up a company that is now planning. How hard was it? Like, how did it made you? How did it make you feel like having to leave the job and or choosing to leave it in the job and uh, kind of making the leap of faith? It was really strange because when I think back to this period, like it, it was so easy, and it was not because I was not challenged by the idea that for the next uh, months I'm not going to be having stable uh, funds to be living by, but it was more about the fact that I was so determined. Uh, to work on this and just investigate. And um, I was not finding any fulfillment in the stuff that I was doing at that particular time. There was, I was working in an awesome company, a fintech startup in London. But uh, the moment when you learn about these topics, you just kind of feel responsible. Okay. And uh, how long did it take between uh, you quitting your job and the first version of the product? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, there was a lot of experimentation, also a lot of uh, learning. I was doing constantly all these like online courses on how to build a company, how to do marketing, how to do uh, analytics and so on, because I didn't know these things. I come from finance background, so I can build financial models, but not uh, uh, understand how to build a website or uh, how to analyze if the website works well. So this 
learning was working in parallel with me getting help from people that uh, were friends. Like I had a lot of people that were helping me for free. Uh, I got also burned quite a bit because I paid some people that charged me ridiculous amounts for building like a simple website. So like it took good uh, eight months uh, to kick off something that I could announce to people. And it was totally not what we're building now. <laughs> it was a donation platform for environmental projects. So we did a serious pivot and the donation platform was dedicated to, it was B2C. So we kind of shifted a lot our focus, but we found where we can have actually more impact. And this is definitely what we're doing now. So you started doing a lot of different things in the, like within the company. So what have you ended up with? What's your zone of responsibility? I am responsible for finance, uh, HR still, uh, and hopefully not uh, too long because uh, it's an incredibly important job uh, that de deserves one particular person. Um, I do the PR and the sales. So it's quite a lot of things, but it's kind of the external facing activities uh, for the company. And uh, yeah. Are you the sole founder? Yeah. Yeah. I'm one of those rare animals. <laughs> <laughs> Was it a problem when you uh, started uh, thinking about raising funding, talking to VCs? It has been a problem in many different occasions. Uh, for example, in the beginning, I found it quite challenging when I was by myself that I didn't have anyone to uh, kind of ask for advice or feedback because... Uh, you're engaged with your own idea, but not everyone else is. So <laughs> you can't ask 200 times the same people. Uh, when it comes to funds, I think uh, only recently I actually analyzed that um, there is, there's been potentially some um, kind of concerns on the investor side about this particular aspect when, because we've been rejected many times. I, I can tell you that I've spoken to majority of the VCs in across Europe and, uh, one problem is that many VCs, traditional ones, don't invest in climate change and sustainability. It's just not part of the thesis and it's not a topic that yet has uh, established benchmarks um, and multiples. And the second aspect is that I'm a sole founder, which I think has had some influence, but hopefully in a month we're going to be making some announcements that prove the opposite. <laughs> right. Perfect. And uh, what I also noticed, uh, what uh, you were mentioning in uh, today's talk, is that uh, you said that if you launched uh, your platform a year earlier, it wouldn't have uh, worked. It wouldn't uh, wouldn't take off. Why is it so? What's changed in the year? I think this is the year of sustainability. Uh, 2020 has been defined by the European Commission, by so many big institutions as the year when they want to learn how to implement sustainability. Um, last year, we had the Fridays for Future uh, movement. Uh, we had a lot of companies committing to uh, changing related to sustainability. And I think this started a wave of uh, discussions that now is leading to action. Last year was still a bit of an exotic topic for many people. They were not finding it uh, quite exciting. Uh, and especially the idea that they had to invest money into the topic was more related to engaging the excited people in the company or something like that. But it was not a, a cross channels and across uh, all employees uh, discussion. Right. Do you consider yourself a climate activist? I've been asked this before and um, I have 
a bit of a weird connection or like understanding of the word activist. I think each one of us is somewhat of an activist because we believe in certain things and we fight for them in a kind of in a more constructive way, not like literally fighting on day to day basis. Um, I think I'm a climate pragmatic. I think I'm someone that uh, knows that there are solutions out there and knows that there's also a system that exists out there and we need to find way, ways into it to be able to change it, um, but not uh, in a radical way where we forget about all the advancements that we've had before, um, meaning companies have existed for a long time and they have had for the longest time the focus on optimizing and getting out more output for less resources and so on. And um, for a long time, there was not that much knowledge about the fact that um, it was wasteful maybe to fly all the time. It was wasteful to be uh, producing 20,000 t-shirts instead of, you know, exactly how much you need. So I think this mindset uh, is kind of now infiltrated into the minds of people. And uh, I want to pragmatically be able to help with these things and these topics so that they get uh, on a practical level in companies. But I don't like to shout at people and telling them what to do. And I'm not saying that all activists uh, or like activists do that. It's more, I prefer to pragmatically approach the topic right and one of the parts of the undeniable hype of the topic of uh, climate change has been what's called normally greenwashing and this is something that you also touched in the panel that you were on in the morning so what's uh, what do you see there you're you're pretty close to uh, all things that usually associated with greenwashing what's your what's your view so sustainability is a topic that is emotional. It touches a lot of people's uh, hearts. And uh, if you care actually about the planet, you um, kind of develop a relationship with the topic. Um, greenwashing for me is an opportunity to kind of touch this sensitivity and uh, this connection that people have in a really straightforward way without even thinking of the full cycle of the problem. So offsetting, for example, is a, is a big hype at the moment. A lot of companies are claiming that they can do offsetting and so on. And uh, offsetting is a one incredibly important resource of responsibility, uh, but it comes uh, as also part of a commitment for long-term sustainability and more sustainable model uh, that companies should have. So uh, I think the greenwashing that we are observing is definitely a lot of companies um, kind of maybe taking the opportunity to claim that they can become uh carbon neutral by 2050, which is quite far off in the future, uh, and potentially convincing someone that this is the way to go and this is uh, a responsible act. But the truth is, is that climate change is undeniably here. And if we postpone decision making until 2050, we don't have the chance to actually save humanity. And it's um, really important to emphasize that it's about saving humanity, not the planet. The planet is fine. The planet has been able to go through a lot of cycles and is quite resilient. Um, so we need short-term commitments uh, and uh, in the shorter-term commitments and also uh, ones that communicate what actually is the impact, be it of the offsets, be it of the projects that the companies support, be it of the initiatives to reduce packaging and so on, so that we know if practically this works. So impactful as it is, Plan A is a startup, is a company, and uh, as not any startup, you should have some competition, do you? 
Yeah, we do. And uh, actually, there's been a lot more competition in the last uh, even like month than ever before, especially in Germany. It's just been phenomenal. There's been a, uh, each week a new company popping up, uh, doing different things for companies. The competition uh, focuses on different things than we do. Of course, they are competition because they still offer uh, to companies a way in sustainability. But the dominant topic is about uh, calculation and then offsetting. What we do that is significantly different is that we build sustainability action plans for companies. Right. And also kind of, you know, help companies reduce their CO2. And by, by up until now, we've been helping companies reduce by 15%. And this is only since December. Wow, this is impressive. So last question then, what's your main struggle? I have been observing the space now for um, close to three years. And uh, it's really fantastic to see that green tech is becoming kind of a commonplace. And that finally, uh, you know, it's becoming part of the traditional tech media uh, discussions. It's becoming part of the traditional uh, VC discussions. Um The struggles that we faced is definitely going through this journey. I must say that uh, Plan A has had one failed attempt to raise funds uh, last year in the beginning. And it was because we were quite early into the product analysis and so on. So maybe it was because of the fact that there was not enough traction. Uh, but um, I think it, it would be great when the time comes when there's actually benchmarks about the uh, green tech and there's an opportunity for the next generation of startups that do these kinds of things to have an easy way into the topic because uh, what we're all building is something that can benefit the whole society and I think it would be nice if it is appreciated as such um, and also embedded into the traditional tech discussions because we are building tech products. But so what sort of benchmarks do you mean? So um, doing a valuation of a green tech startup uh, is quite challenging uh, because you don't have reference points. There's many companies that are doing for the first time uh, whatever they're doing, waste management uh, that is essentially calculating how much litter a restaurant is doing. What was uh, today another cool startup was like they're doing charging stations for e-scooters and you can try to find like in mobility or in somewhere um, kind of an understanding of what this can be come as a product, but because it's so new and there has not been any investments in sustainability outside of like really big corporate funds into CSR uh, or like big sustainability companies themselves, um, it just is like kind of a new universe that is now defining itself. Right. Understood. Thank you so much and good luck with Plan A. Thank you so much, Andrew. And this is it for our today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Please help us spread the word, tell a friend or colleague about the show, and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by SoundPulse, that is sound-pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions, and opinions at podcast at tech EU. Thank you for listening. Enjoy your week and talk to you next Monday. Bye-bye. Thank you.